Well, <clears throat> as you know, we can't deal with the whole chapter as we have a chapter of time to break it down a bit as best we can. Uh, I wonder what bit of this passage intrigues you or raises a particular question um, about what we've read this morning. Any ideas? Hmm. than for you. Um, set me thinking. I, I thought, well, what does that mean? Yeah, well, that's where I got to it, set me thinking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was my answer to the question. No. <laughs> <laughs> the simple basic facts that, you know, the gospel message is proclaimed throughout the whole world and it's confirmed and backed up by the, the, the miracles that Jesus performed. And, and, and these places did have, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the authentic gospel preached to them, and yet still the people didn't respond to that, you know, in a sense. And um, even the, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the places which didn't have the light of the gospel, as it were, then, you know. But these people, it's like us in this land, in Britain particularly, here, what we call as a Christian country. And yet, largely, as a nation, we are under the judgment of God. Because we're lost to the laws of God, we're lost to his purposes. This is where the church comes into play. And God is raising us up. And um, particularly the bit I want to look at this morning, because it was the bit that I really questioned as I read through the chapter, was that... Um, Bit, bit about the kingdom of God. And it says, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. And um, you know, uh, if you read the authorised version, it says that violent men will take hold of it. And the translation doesn't really seem to tie up with um, what's the real truth behind it. And, um, and so I, I just looked into it to see if I could understand a little bit more about that, but we need just to see what um, what Jesus has been saying about the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes, you know, uh, we, we get these two phrases: the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and they're largely one and the same thing. Um, but in, in a sense, we're talking. Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven coming, and um, we're going to look this morning about this little bit about the kingdom of heaven. You know, we had some great films. Not that I thought they were great, but um, I understand from people. The great film Star Wars. Different, I think there have been different films on that. But there's a phrase that comes out which is really stuck, and it's may the force be with you. There are a little bit of biblical overtones and undertones about that, I think, as we think about it. May the force be with you. Purely because the early church um, learned to speak to people in a way that may the peace of God with you. The peace of God which passes all understanding. May what we have be with you. What we have, the, uh, the apostles, if you like, what we have, may it be with you too, because God has reached out to all people. May the force be with you. And may that be a very prophetic word for us this morning. May the force be with us. The true understanding and meaning of what is meant here about the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, and forceful people will take hold of it. Largely, the kingdom of heaven is about coming into the purposes of earth and its people, God's kingdom, 
coming into the purposes of earth for the people and for his purposes. Jesus being the only means whereby this could ever happen. And so John the Baptist, when he comes, he comes preaching the kingdom of heaven. And he points to Jesus. John the Baptist being the chosen individual from the old covenant to announce and affirm that this is so. John asks the most important question that everyone needs to ask and respond to, you, respond to in the first few verses. Let's just look at that for a moment. Are you the one that's to come? Or should we expect another? I find that a strange question for John to ask because when Jesus came to John to be baptised, he, he seemed to speak to Jesus as he was coming as if he had a full understanding of who it was coming to him. And so there's a little bit, there's, there's no controversy here about the question John asks. It could be that there are many suggestions about this, but I think it, we're not going to gain any ground by looking at the suggestions, what that means. Just in the fact that this is a question that every person in the world needs to ask and answer for themselves. Are you the one that is to come? Or should we expect another? <coughs> And I need to say this morning as a preacher that he is the one that God sent. The only one, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the saviour of the world, the only redeemer of mankind, he is the one. And there is no one else. But you see, the world's looking for another. Many people today are looking for another. But we answer the question in the terms of scripture. As Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's the most important question we can answer in our hearts this morning. Who is Jesus? Jesus put the question to Peter, didn't he? Peter, who do men say that I am? Some say this, some say that. But I believe you're the son of the living God. And Jesus went, turned round to him and he said, Peter... Upon this affirmation of your faith in me, I will build my church. And so the church is built on the sure truth that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only Lord of his church. And we come this morning, that's what we've been celebrating this morning, the fact that Jesus is. The fact that Jesus is. The question that John asks, we answer. So, as Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven, what sort of things was he saying? Because this leads up to where we will be in a moment. Well, Jesus was preaching power to the people and not the establishment. Very often today in, in churches, you know, it's, it's about what the church can do for me. They can christen you and bury you and marry you and all the rest of it. Even with wrong people today, they will do it. But in a sense, Jesus came preaching power to the people, not the establishment. Judaism had people in their grip. Poor people, people suffering, people tormented. They had them in their grip and they couldn't move at all for the sake of the establishment, as it were. You know, rules break people sometimes. But Jesus came to give freedom to the people. That was what was in his message. 
Jesus said about the scribes and the Pharisees and the establishment, he said, you give people burdens that are grievous to be borne. That's what you're doing to the people. But I've come to give them life. I've come to set them free from that sort of thing. I've come to give them a way out and a way in and a way through. Power to the people, not the establishment. In John 5, verse 24, we have this verse, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. Whoever. Whoever. What other differences do we find in this? We find that my salvation is personal and it's not dependent on an outside source. It's not dependent on parenthood. It's not dependent on genealogy. It's not dependent on the church. It's not dependent on the Jewish nation or anything like that. It's dependent solely upon Jesus who gives me this life. My salvation is personal. It's not down to the establishment. Very often we find that we find we have to go through someone else to get to God. But that's not the way God does it. He's given power to you and to me to approach God without fear. My salvation is personal. God is my father and I'm an heir to receive an inheritance. God is my father. And Jesus in Matthew, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, um, he said, and I love the way it came over across the DVD. Do you remember it? Jesus said, our father. <laughs> our father. You know, not their father, your father. God is our father. Power to the people, not the establishment. I'm also a priest to God in my own right. I have access to God through Jesus Christ, but I have the right priesthood. The Bible teaches the priesthood of all believers. It means this, I worship before God's throne, I can pray myself, I can confess my sin, receive forgiveness without further ado. Power to the people, not the establishment. This is the kingdom of heaven. It gives to you and to me what is contained in shalom peace, everything as it should be. Shalom peace is translated everything as it should be for you and for me. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven enables that. It brings it into play. So you and I can move forward with a sense of purpose and dignity in God, not dependent upon anyone else. So Jesus preaches how accessible are the ways and purposes of God. The kingdom of heaven is an accessible experience, not a theological term. Sometimes kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God come across to us as a theological term. But it's not. It's not that at all. It's Jesus. The kingdom of God is an accessible experience, not a theological term. Jesus teaches then that true values include non-discrimination against ordinary people. Jesus explains that those that think or assume they are in may well be out. And those that have been convinced that they have no part in the kingdom of God are actually the people with whom God can work and have a great delight and blessing.
just you, just me, and God. The kingdom of heaven. And so this sort of thing Jesus was saying, since John, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. That's why the crowds flocked to Jesus, because they sense. That was one of the sort of translations of the word force. People moving mass towards Jesus. Something was changing the people's environment that caused them to reach out to God. A forceful advance because of his teaching, because of his power to attract the kingdom of heaven. It was said that about John that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. If ever there was a forceful advance that's needed in our generation today, it's that one. Power in the kingdom of heaven turns the hearts of the fathers to the children. If we're ever in the place of being a father, that's what we should be, our hearts towards our children. In my early years as a Christian, I was challenged about this towards my own children, spending time doing what I wanted to do rather than spending time with my children. But today, the kingdom of heaven wants to create that sort of environment, that power where something can change. Something can change for the good. Something can alter. Something can change our generation. Something can change our politics. Something that can change our thinking. So we're introduced in this passage by a strange of peer comments by Jesus. From the days of John the baptizer until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. The kingdom of heaven has been advancing since creation. But since John, it's been forcefully advancing. He's enabled by pointing to Jesus, saying he's the way, and also asserting the values of the kingdom of heaven in his own preaching, that this was God. This was God visiting his people. This was Jesus coming in power. Forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. And so, in Genesis, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing. However, it was a bit like one step forward and two backward until King David. And we find there, there are overtones of what the kingdom of heaven really was about. Things as they should be in the hands of a king chosen by God. And so here we are today, things as they should be in the hands of a king put in place by God. That's why David in the psalm said, I I have set my king on my holy hill. He's there. My king, my king, God's king, our king this morning, the king of all kings. That's why the kingdom of heaven is here and it's near. David's reign enabled a foretaste and prophetic insight of the kingdom of heaven when he was here. Yes, David came to a point of failure in his life, but the king of all kings, there was no failure in his life. And so Jesus is set apart in that. 
And so we're enabled with even more different power because of our king of all kings. So how can we understand what is meant by this and how does it apply to us? The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. It is clear that John the baptizer was birthed for a purpose and so he lived and died for that purpose. We saw him in prison. It's a shameful picture. But in a sense, John the Baptist was birthed purely to point to Jesus and to say that this prophet, this last prophet under the old covenant, puts Jesus in his rightful place and said, he's the one. I'm just the bridegroom, he said. He's the bride. There's overtones there of the church, you see. The bride. John says, I'm just the bridegroom. I'm just the one who attends the bridegroom. I'm just the servant. He is the bridegroom. So it's clear that John was birthed for a purpose, and so he lived and died for that purpose. In a sense, we are John the Baptists in that sense, because we, what were we singing about this morning, is it? We live and we die for that purpose. So, understanding the phrase, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. What it really means, it suggests that it has come with holy power, spiritual energy, pushing back the frontiers of darkness. That's forcefully, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. It doesn't necessarily mean a state of future glory. It means now. Now, the holy power is available to us. Now, the spiritual energy is here because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And through this, there will be a pushing back of the frontiers of darkness. Forceful move. So, what is this word force violent? Um, I just read an explanation. I, I mean, I, I, I can't explain it exegetically or whatever. But it was a difficult word to translate. And so to translate it properly, they had to go back to the Hebrew and to see what it meant. And really what it means is this. If you get, we'll put it in picture form. It's like a herd of sheep trying to break through a fence to get to the other side. And they do. They trample down the fence and they get to the other side. And the other picture, which is a very interesting picture, and it's that point of birth of a child, when a child breaks forth from the womb and comes out into this world. It's actually a force, a power, which enables another experience, enables the child to move on. And so the kingdom of heaven, with Jesus coming... It enabled the kingdom of heaven to break forth, to come out. His coming enabled the kingdom of heaven to advance, to be birthed, to be brought into play. And it says, forceful men lay hold of this. Forceful men lay hold of that. What does that mean? Well, 
because of the kingdom of heaven is here, because it's advancing, it attracts energetic people intent on both destruction and creative intent. It, has sort of, it sort of attracts that sort of reaction. Now, the, the best example that I give you this morning is that about the Pakistani minister who was killed this week. Here's a man who voiced, it was on our screens, who voiced that he would die for the sake of bringing an end to the blasphemy law. He was just sitting in the taxi, he was just speaking out his intent, his desire, that the blasphemy law should be changed. That was a forceful man taking hold of the kingdom of heaven. But you also had another forceful faction who shot him. And so the kingdom of heaven attracts that sort of violence, that sort of power, that of energetic man. It's like a bit like a businessman who sees an opportunity and he goes and seizes it. Forceful men lay hold of it. And so it has that attraction in a good sense and a bad sense. And so just as John was raised up for the birthing of the kingdom of heaven, so the believing community are brought into play as it advances. And here's the same for John, isn't it? You know, John was that sort of man who laid hold of the purposes of God. His lifestyle laid hold of the purposes of God. His preaching laid hold of the purposes of God. But then you see violent men laid hold of him and put him in prison. He subsequently died for that. And so in a sense the kingdom of heaven attracts that sort of reaction because it's God's power at work in the earth. And as the church of the living God, when we face do things, we will engage with spiritual warfare. We will find there is opposition. We will find there are difficulties, but these difficulties have answers to them, ways in which we can move forward with the power of God. But I just want to give some positive examples of how this is borne out, how this explanation of forceful men lay hold of it so that it might help us this morning, what we can learn from this morning. Okay, here's some general words that I'm just going to throw out into the air. Forceful, outrageous, abnormal, outside of protocol, different than what society or culture generally considers to be acceptable, living beyond the norm, Breaking through, breaking out. All right? Some sort of translations of the word men by force would take, you know, force, if you like. Outrageous, abnormal, outside of protocol, different than what society or culture generally considers to be acceptable, living beyond the norm, breaking through, breaking out. And like I said before, in picture language, it's like a flock of sheep breaking through a fence to get to the other side and the birth of a living being, the moment of breaking forth from the womb, coming into this big world, a new experience, a new way. In Matthew 13:44, a man comes across some treasure in a field. 
He doesn't steal the treasure and go away, but he buys the field. Forceful men take hold of it. Not, not necessarily violent, but here is a resolution of the mind, here's a determination of the spirit, and here is action which proved right. He finds the treasure, he buys the field. Matthew is asked to follow Jesus, so he gives up his job. In actual fact, it's outside, it goes beyond where we are just in the mind. Faith and action, if you like. Something. Matthew saw something in Jesus which didn't only caused him to follow him, it caused him to give up his job as well. And there are many people today, many people today, you know, who, for the sake of God, for the sake of the purposes of God, will give up everything and go and serve him. Give up what they've been doing. Maxine's with us shortly. She changed her whole life around and went to serve the Lord. And look at what the outcome of that. We're looking forward to the news that's coming about because of that. There was a story going around the Christian world some years ago uh, that I remember. It's about two businessmen. And uh, one had a Rolls Royce and the other didn't have any car whatsoever. And the man who had the Rolls Royce, he, he sort of pulled this other man up and he says, come on, you're a businessman. You ought to show that you know, you're successful in what you do. And he said, I've got a Rolls, so should you have a Rolls? And that was okay, but he kept on at the man. Why don't you buy a car? And one day, this other Christian man who didn't have a car, he turned around and said, look, he said, I understand what you're trying to say, but I've got four cars, and I've given them to four missionaries. Beyond the norm, outside the norm, men who want the kingdom of heaven lay hold of it in a way which demonstrates that they believe in a higher purpose. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men <coughs> lay hold of it. That's just an example of how it happens. It's a bit like the chicken and the pig, isn't it? We all know this little story. We've heard it so often. But it's relevant, isn't it? Chicken and the pig were in the field. The farmer was in the field as well. And so the chicken said to the pig, let's give him, let's give him bacon and egg for breakfast. So the pig says, well, it's all right for you. It's only a contribution. But for me, it's a sacrifice. <laughs> and explains it so much, doesn't it? The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men, men with an intent... People with a purpose lay hold of it and they actually give their lives for it. Let's look at Cain and Abel for a moment. The history admits one got it right and one got it wrong. History admits that. One got it right and one got it wrong. We read about Cain that he gave some of the produce to God. It wasn't wrong to offer God produce from the ground. We find that in ensuing years. History admits that it's not a problem. History also admits that one got it right, one got it wrong. History admits... I don't want to place theological values over what Abel did. I don't think it's right to do that. 
but history admits that the way of sacrifice was actually the right way. History affirms that he did what was right. But beyond that little bit of understanding, Abel gave some of the produce of his ground, of, his, of the ground to God. And it's a bit like this. I'll give you a little picture. It's like a man, it's like a, a man at market, if you like, and he's looking through the vegetables and he comes to an orange that's a bit rotten and he throws it to a man over there. Here, you have this one. That's a bit like the attitude that's brought out in Cain's response to God when they approached. Here, have one of these. You read about Abel, that he brought fat portions, or he brought the firstlings of his flock. He brought the firstlings of his flock. I was looking at some programmes on the television about market. Adam is his name, and he was going around choosing some um, um, rams, as it were. And I was interested to look at the, and amused too, as he chose these rams. He knew what he was looking for. And he knew the things that identified that ram as the best possible ram that he could buy. It's the same thought with Abel. He had flock here, and he had maybe one or two in there, which were the prize animals. And because God was important, and because of the purity of his heart, he gave what was best to God. He gave what was best to God. Forceful men lay hold of it. It may have been costly, we don't know. We're not told too many details. But at that point, the kingdom of heaven was advancing. Raises the question, what I do for God and the way I do it, as Barbara reminded us on Thursday night, she read a verse and I said, yeah, that fits fine. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all your mind. I thought, that's amazing. Some people just don't worship God with their mind. We don't approach God with the sense of intelligence, of the truth that God has given to us how we need to do that. Forceful men lay hold, lay hold of the truth. Lay hold of the truth of God. Matthew 17, 21, there's a story about an epileptic that the disciples couldn't heal. And Jesus said, this kind cannot come out except by prayer and fasting. So the disciples were confronted with ultimately a spiritual issue, a spiritual need. And what Jesus was actually saying, when you have this sort of spiritual need, it demands corporate and persistent attention. It needs corporate and persistent attention. Now that was an epileptic boy, but even... In our own community here, we have spiritual needs. Oppression, depression, fear. And what Jesus is saying, come on, 
Come on, church. Come on, church. You need to get down to prayer and pray for this. It demands the same attention if it's a spiritual need. There are physical problems and they need, they need healing. We have physical needs in our fellowship. And we're trying to get to that place, you know, where we make it important to pray for people to be healed. But spiritual needs demand a forceful advance. Jesus said, this thing does not dealt with unless it's by prayer and fasting. So that's different. Yeah, we can pray, but he's saying it needs that special attention. His church forcefully advanced to where you need to go to. Well, that includes me. And I believe the Lord is continually calling us to prayer. The early church continued steadfastly in prayer. And we need to be a praying people. Not an isolated people, but corporate prayer. We need to be praying together. And where you've got spiritual needs, and there are many about us today, we need to give it that special attention if we're to be forceful men taking hold of the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Corinthians 1, and I'd just like us to finish by reading a few verses in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul said to Timothy in one of his letters to him, I believe that Timothy was an idealistic sort of young man. He I mean, Paul said to him, he said, bodily exercise is good, but godliness is better. He said, well, you know, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. He probably said, oh, I want to be like John the Baptist. I don't want to drink. And there's a bit of a young man idealism about Timothy. And Paul said to Timothy, he says, lay hold on eternal life. He said, lay hold on eternal life. What did that mean for Timothy? It meant for Timothy, give attention to what has brought eternal life to you. Give attention for your people's sake and where eternal life comes from and who bought it for the people. Jump up and down on it. Be an active man about the eternal life that God has brought about. Lay hold, seize on it, is the word. Seize on it and don't let it go. That's what's important. The cause of Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he has bought. And in 1 Corinthians, we have this great passage. We have here no ordinary answer to an impossible situation. No ordinary answer to an impossible situation. The preaching of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1... Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. Christ, the power of God. So if we take hold of Christ, we're taking hold, we're forcefully taking hold of what God gave. It's that drastic a move. It may be foolishness to the world. It's a non-event in the world to many people, but it's laying hold of the power of God. It's laying hold of the power of God. Christ, the power of God. No ordinary answer. That's what people are looking for today, an ordinary answer to an impossible situation. And it comes across like this. I did it my way. Well, this is what I think. That's an ordinary answer. But there's no ordinary answer to an impossible situation. The impossible situation Jesus actually dealt with. It has to answer to past mistakes and sins of ignorance, what Jesus has done. Now, we may forget what we've done in the past, but God doesn't forget And how can you deal with things in the past that you've already done? God wants us to be a a person of force, taking hold of that which is a powerful move in our lives, taking hold of the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus has done, we take hold of Jesus, we're taking hold of what he's done for us. We're taking hold of a power. We're taking hold of a tectonic plate shift, if you like, because... It has answer to past mistakes and sins, sins of ignorance. People we, sins that we don't even think anything about. God has dealt with that. God hasn't forgotten what Jesus did for us went to the root, not to the reasoning. What Jesus did went to the root, not the reasoning. Because you can't forgive sin, it has to be dealt with. And when it's dealt with, sins can be forgiven. They can be done away with. And because Jesus went to the root and dealt with sin, he destroyed him that had the power of death, the devil. He dealt with the root of sin so that the forgiveness of sins may be offered to each of us. So that, as I said earlier, we have this freedom to come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know you've forgiven. And as a believer who sins, we say, Lord... I've got my sacrifice today. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses me from all sin. Praise God. It's dealt with. It's done with. And you have to bring it to the altar, and it's gone. That's a forceful man laying hold of the things of God. That's a forceful advance. Paul challenged Timothy to lay hold on eternal life. There's one other thing. Baptism. Baptism, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Saviour, we're, we're going through a spiritual barrier, if we like, because we're making our mark. We're identifying with Jesus. We're owning our Saviour, that we've made that move. We're making our stand. Forceful men lay hold of it. It's like parable earlier, you find the treasure, you buy the field. 
Sometimes we only want the treasure without the field. But you notice in that parable, if you read it, that what he did was coincidence with joy. Because it said he went off with joy and bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and it's advancing today. But maybe that's how it will advance when we lay forceful men lay hold of the things of God. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that we're a part of this great movement, Lord. Thank you that the kingdom of heaven is on the move. And we thank you, Father, that strongholds are being broken down. We thank you, Father, that we're finding our way. We're finding our way through. We're finding our way up from glory to glory. Things to overcome. Things to deal with. But, Lord, you have given the victory into our hands. And we praise you for that. And we stand free before you. Lord Jesus, thank you. You're our great saviour. Our great king eternal. Hallelujah. I'm going to be available to pray for you this morning if, that you, if you feel that you have a spiritual need, you know, like depression or oppression. If you feel that when you get up in the morning you feel you've got a ceiling above your head and you, you're just finding closed by that because you feel that you have a spiritual need, then we'll pray for you this morning. I believe that's what God would declare. Thank you. Trying for coffee?